Listen as I read. Thank you for standing. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so one, one announcement before, uh, before I go uh, any further. If you're a member here today, we are voting on a couple things. You, you can vote digitally, and you got an email about that. But if you are a person who needs a paper ballot, there will be someone by the book wall after the service. And members, you can get your ballots uh, right there after the service. Okay, we're in a series in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we've been working our way through. We are into chapter 7. Uh, and if you just heard that, uh, that sermon text read, uh, I understand if that made you a little uncomfortable. Uh, these these uh, words and this section of the, of the, um, of the Gospel of Matthew is uh, what some people refer to as hard sayings. They're, they're, they're sayings that, that hit us, especially in our current cultural moment. And, uh, and we can feel some, some tensions, actually quite, quite a few tensions. Um, but before we get into those specific verses, I want to take a minute, and uh, we've done this a couple times, but I want to make sure we understand how this section of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to I make sure we understand how, how it is that it unfolds. And so just a quick flyover of the structure of the sermon. Uh, Matthew uh, 5, uh, verse 2 through 20, is considered the, like the introduction. It's where Jesus kind of gives us a preamble, uses these phrases that we've referred to over the years as beatitudes. And, and Jesus is, is, is presenting to us what he considers to be the good life. And he's saying it's a little upside down. Those who mourn are, are actually blessed. And it leaves us a, a, a little confused. 
as he comes to the end of that section, verses 17 through 20, kind of, they do double duty and they end the introduction, but they also start the first section. And that, those verses, verses 17 through 20, what they, what they reveal is that Jesus says, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. Your righteousness has to be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. All of his listeners would have thought of the scribes and the Pharisees as the best of the best. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, if you're going to follow me, your righteousness is going to have to be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That would have been extremely disorienting. It would have been very uncomfortable for Jesus' listeners. And then as he works through section one, he kind of starts to show what he means. He, he has six antitheses where he uh, takes something like, for example, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. And Jesus is like, that's right. Don't murder. But you're not going deep enough. Because it's not just physical murder. I care about the anger that's in your heart. Because if you're angry at someone in your heart, that's, the, that's in the, under the same umbrella as murder. Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And that's right. Don't, don't commit adultery. But you're not going deep enough. I say, if you look upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so Jesus starts to show what he means by a righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's talking about a righteousness that goes all the way down. He's not letting us off the hook with just what we do. He says, what you do matters, but not just what you do. He cares about what's going on in your heart. And he goes through six of those. In the second section, he gives us three righteous actions. So he shows that this greater righteousness is also going to touch on our spirituality. And he talks about giving, and praying and fasting. And he basically says, it's good to give, it's good to pray, and it's good to fast, but you're not going deep enough. Why are you doing it? Why are you giving? Why are you praying? Why are you fasting? He says, the Pharisees, they're hypocrites. They do this to put on a show. Is that what you're doing? He's like, that's not, that's not the way of my kingdom. A righteousness that goes all the way down. Jesus doesn't just care if you give, pray, and fast. He cares why you give, pray, and fast. And then the third section, uh, he talks about two relationships. And so this greater righteousness regarding our relationships in the world, our relationships to goods, and our relationship to people. So in regard to goods, food, clothing, money, how do you interact with those items? Do, do, you, do, you, do you get anxious about those items? Jesus says, man, look, if you're in my kingdom, you, you have a father who cares about the birds that hop around that largely are considered worthless. They, 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 they're like, they're, they're a dime a dozen. And yet God cares about them. Look at how beautiful the flowers are and their lifespan is so short and they wither and they're gone. And yet God dressed those flowers. Jesus says, if God cares about those things like that, then don't you think he cares about his children even more? And so there's this sense where Jesus says the way that his people interact with the world, it actually is, can be anxiety-free. And then what about people? Well, verses uh, chapter 7, 1 through 12, Jesus says, watch out. Beware your own heart. You, you are more ready to condemn others than you realize. And in those verses, Jesus wants us to realize that our own sin is a bigger problem than other people's sin. Jesus isn't saying that other people don't sin. Of, of course other people sin. But Jesus is saying, do you realize that your own stuff is the bigger problem? You, you've got a plank in your eye, and you're out there worried about everybody else who's got a splinter in theirs. First, 
Deal with your own stuff. First, do the evaluation of your own soul. Jesus wants righteousness all the way down. And then the rest of chapter 7 is his conclusion, uh, 7, 13 through 27. And Jesus has said a lot of hard things in, throughout these three chapters, but as he closes the sermon, man, he doesn't want us to miss the significance of what he's saying. He doesn't want us to miss the fact that he is offering an alternate kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom in which he is the king, and he's putting before us this reality um, that you're going to have to sort some things out. You're going to have to sort out the true from the false. You're going to have to make some decisions if you are going to truly follow Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus ends this iconic sermon. First point, um, this is a recap from last week. So last week we looked at verses 13 and 14. And, uh, and we considered uh, the, the, the teaching that Jesus gave here about two ways. So if you would like to listen to the whole sermon, that's available on our website, and you can go check that out. I'm going to do a, a very short version of, of these, the, uh, what Jesus is getting at in, in these verses. I think I said this last week, but what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, uh, gets, gets a lot of our modern people, uh, contemporary people, it, it gets us very upset people that are uh, like uh, in, in our current society. And, and let me show you why. Because what Jesus says in just these couple verses, in verses 13 and 14, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so this is a little bit of a scandal, especially for our current culture. This is what Jesus says. This is the recap. Jesus is telling us that everyone is on a spiritual path, whether you know it or not. We, we, are, built to de, we are built to desire. We are worshipers. That, that is, that's how the human person functions. We are, we are after something. We are trusting in something. We were created to desire. We were created to worship. We were created to want. And we can't stop. And over the centuries since Jesus said this, there's been example after example after example of thinker and, and theologian and philosopher who have realized that that's the condition of the human heart. The human heart is chasing after something. It, it's, it's longing for something. And a, a, a contemporary philosopher named James K.A. Smith, he says the human heart is like an arrow. And as you go through life, there's all kinds of things that are trying to woo the arrow of your heart to point at them. That, that that's what I need to be truly happy. That's what I need to have true meaning. That, that, that's what I need to have purpose in life. That, that, that's the way that I can, uh, you know, have, have, a, have a life. There's all kinds of things wooing our attention. And Jesus is saying, whether you know it or not, you are on a spiritual path. You are trusting in something. But then it steps up. It's scandal. Jesus says, not only is everybody on a spiritual path, but he has the audacity to say that there's only two options. That there's the narrow path, his path, and then whatever other path you're on, it's all the other path. Wide is the way, easy is the road, and many find it. That, that's the easy one to find. Jesus says narrow is the path, hard is the way that, that Jesus is offering. And so what Jesus is saying is that there are not many paths leading to the same destination, which is what a lot of contemporary people believe, Jesus says there's two paths leading in opposite directions, one to life and one to death. 
spent some more time on this last week, but you know, maybe, maybe you, you have a tendency in your heart to say, man, I, just, I, just, I think that all roads lead to the same God. I think that all these religions, they all have a little piece of the truth or a little idea here, and they're all talking about the same God. And all of these paths, ultimately, they all lead up to the same God. They all do that. As soon as you say that, you're stating a belief. As soon as you make that declaration, you're stating a belief. Um, In other words, you cannot judge between religions without judging between religions. As soon as you judge between religions, that itself is a religion. You are suggesting that that view is the right view. To look at a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew and say, all religions are roads that lead to the same place. Yeah, they're different, but they all go to the same place. That that is to make a religious claim. That you're suggesting that that person should believe what you believe. And this is part of what Jesus is saying, is that there's, we're all on a spiritual path, there's only two options, and then it goes one step even more severe. It's hard. The, the way of Jesus is hard. It's, it's narrow. But it gives you the only life that matters. So last week I said you can reject Christianity, Christianity or you can accept Christianity, but you can't remodel it into something comfortable and easy. Christianity, in some ways, should feel like a shirt that doesn't quite fit. It should feel like a language that you're trying to learn. It should feel like an alternate culture. If you look at the claims of Jesus and what Jesus calls you to do and how Jesus calls you to live, if it's just fitting that you're not actually following him, that you're not actually listening to the significance of what he's saying, That's what he's been doing throughout this entire sermon. Righteousness all the way down. It's not just, did you commit murder? It's, did you commit murder in your heart? It's not just, did you commit adultery? But did you commit adultery with your heart? Jesus is constantly saying, it's deeper. It's your whole person. It's all of you. This is going to be hard. This This is not a simple road. This is not a simple road. But it is open to everyone. Just because it's narrow doesn't mean that it's Jesus only, but it's not exclusive in the sense that only a few can come. No, he says only a few find it, but it's wide open. All you have to do is come. That's Jesus's invitation. But it doesn't change the fact that these are hard things to hear. Everyone's on a spiritual path. There's only two options, and Jesus's option is hard. It's going to mess with your life. It's going to mess with your resources. It's going to mess with your sexuality. It's going to mess with your time. It's going to mess with your life. And yet Jesus says that's the road to life. Well, if you thought that was heavy, Jesus keeps going. He has a couple more contrasts. So he starts off with two ways. Then he offers us two trees. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, so he starts off by saying, be careful with the path that you choose. Now he's saying, be careful with the teachers that you listen to. Beware. Who come to you in sheep's clothing. Jesus' point is, watch out. Uh, There's a little bit of a theme with Jesus. Watch out. Your ability to, to, to discern the best option is not as good as you think it is. Man, a lot of times we have a pretty good opinion of ourselves. Like, I, oh, I can sort out. I'm, I'm good at judging character. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good at evaluating it. Jesus is like, well, hang on a second. Beware. In other words, this is not easy to see. 
Jesus has to, to alert us to it. He has to wake us up to it. He has to say, this is one of those things that can really sneak past you. This, this is one of those things where you can end up listening to someone or learning from someone and you miss the fact that they actually weren't who they said they were. Jesus is telling us that false teachers are smart enough to realize that you will spot a wolf. So if a false teacher walks up to you and they're a wolf, you're going to realize that they're a wolf. So they, they're like, okay, well, that doesn't work. What's the other option? Why don't I dress up like a sheep? Why don't I dress up like someone they would welcome? Why don't I dress up someone that's not like someone that's not dangerous? And so that's exactly what they do. They come up and they look like a harmless sheep, but Jesus actually says that they are ravenous wolves. Jesus is telling us that the facade can be misleading. They look good. They probably use their Bible. They're, they're funny. They can be convicting. They often have large followings. They have high charisma. They got all these things going for them. And Jesus says, none of those things are automatically bad, but they can act as sheep's clothing. They can end up dressing up a false teacher in a way that fakes us out, that fools us. And see, this is revealing one of our problems. We like quick and easy. Didn't Jesus just say that? He said, the easy road is what everybody can find. That, that, that's what everybody ends up on. We like that. It's comfortable. It's quick. It's easy. It's right here. That's the option. Let's do that. We like quick and easy. But Jesus is telling us here, he warned us about the easy road. Early in chapter 7, in verses 1 through 5, he says, watch out about your judgment. Watch out about judging someone without listening to them, without learning from them, without dealing with your own stuff first. Like that's a, that's a, a quick response. That's a, a judgmental heart that's just like jumping to conclusions. Jesus is warning us against that. And that's what he's warning us here. Watch out for false teachers. Do you notice the irony? Two different times, in verse 16 and in verse 20, Jesus says, well, you know, there's these false teachers out there. You will recognize them by their fruits. That's what Jesus says. He says, they come dressed up like sheeps, sheep, they're actually wolves, um, but you'll, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Here's what's ironic about that. What's the point of the sheep's clothing? It's to fool us. The entire idea is that they are fooling us, that we are being tricked, that we actually can't see it. We're being faked out. So I think that's the reason that Jesus changes metaphors. And he goes from sheep and wolf to a tree and its fruit. And Jesus says, look for their fruit. See, Jesus is warning us that quick and easy is not the way to find out whether a teacher is legit. Jesus says you got to wait. You, you got you to see their fruit. You, you got to do some evaluation of a bigger timeline. Is this good fruit or is this bad fruit? Anyone who's a gardener in this room will tell you the, bear, the bearing of fruit does not happen overnight. If you plant a fruit tree, it takes a while to find out whether or not that fruit is, is coming through, whether or not that fruit is, is good fruit. For just for that tree to get to the age to where it's even producing fruit, it usually takes years. Now, this has always been a problem. Obviously, Jesus was saying this 2,000 years ago, but it's kicked into hyperdrive with the internet and especially with social media. Te teachers can go, I mean, they can gain millions of followers with almost no one knowing who they are. 
One viral clip can shoot them into the religious stratosphere. Teachers gain fame with charisma, extravagant personal stories about their dramatic childhood or about a uh, terrible tragedy. And those stories are fine, but they don't mean that the person has character or that they are a faithful teacher of God's people. It might just mean that they've had an interesting life or that they're really good at embellishing their life. My wife and I were at a concert. A friend of mine was on stage and he begins in front of thousands of people to tell a story about purchasing a TV, getting it home to his house, putting it in the spot where it was gonna go and deciding it wasn't big enough. Takes it back to the store, gets the next size up, comes in, puts it in the living room, still has room. So he takes the, takes the flat screen back, buys the next size up, brings it, sets it in his living room, measures it out and realizes, I can go up another size. Takes that TV back. While he's telling this story, his wife leans over to my wife and myself and says, none of this is true. <laughs> he, he, this is a Christian concert. I mean, it was a great story. He had everybody rolling. He made some like, you know, nice little uh, you know, spiritual point about uh, the drive for more or something. I don't remember. But, but, I, uh, <clears throat> but the story wasn't even true. He just, he just embellished it. And a lot, of a lot of teachers have realized that in our cultural moment, man, we are in it for the flair. We like, we like the charisma. We like the lady who's got the funny stories about her kids throwing up in the bed. Or we like the guy who has these great stories about conquering some hunting expedition. Like we, we love the flair. And we will line up in millions to listen to these people talk. And Jesus says, okay, that doesn't automatically mean they're bad. Having dramatic stories doesn't mean they're bad. But like, are you evaluating the fruit? Are you checking out the fruit of their life? Is, is, this, is this the kind of food that you should be eating? And just so you know, uh, they are incentivized to do it. A lot of Christian publishers, actually most Christian publishers, are more interested in your social media following than they are the book that you wrote. I have friends who are in the publishing industry who have tried to get their books published, published, and they have to actively be engaged in social media so that their social media following numbers are high enough to where the publisher will be interested in doing their book. It's not first how good the book is, it's first you have enough followers so that we can be confident it'll sell. And so there's this, this, this incentive to do it, but Jesus is saying you need time to investigate what you're being taught. In Acts chapter 17, uh, there's this great sequence where a group of people are being taught and they go home and they're, they're, they're called the Bereans and they, the sermon gets over and you know what they do? They go home to see if what was taught was true. They go to investigate it. They go to study it out and they're like, Did, okay, that, that was really compelling. Was it true? Was that right? Is what he said even true? Is it, is it, is it something that we should hold on to? You need to investigate what you're being taught. And that's true uh, in this church. That's true of the things that I say. You know, one of the reasons why we stand for the reading of the word and then we sit down for my sermon is because the reading of the word, that's the word of God. This sermon is us trying to make sense of it. This sermon isn't inspired. God's word is inspired. We're, we're doing our best to figure it out together. But what I say is not inspired. And you should be investigating it. You should be challenging it. You should be asking, what's the fruit of Matt's life? What's the fruit of the teachers at Sojourn? What, what, you know, what, what, what is being fed to us? 
And this is sensitive, man. I could, have, I could probably offend everyone in this room if I started naming some of the names that leave me concerned. It, it's, it's a tough subject because we, we read these authors and they, 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 they move us emotionally a lot of times and we don't want to think that that's a problem. And I don't want any of you to live your life as a cynic. I don't want you to run around not being able to trust anyone. You know, we had a member here at our church when I arrived 17 years ago who told me that you shouldn't trust anyone because God is the only one you can trust. Now, I, I heard him say that. I was just like, man, that, that is an, like, that's an unfortunate, fearful, lonely way to live your life. I actually think you can, you can trust people. Jesus isn't saying don't trust. He's saying do your work. He's saying investigate it. You know, sometimes I like to, our staff just had this conversation recently, but to think about this as almost like white blood cells. You know, your body has white blood cells in it. And those white blood cells are part of the way that your body attacks viruses. And so if your body has the, a healthy amount of white blood cells, then you're less likely to get sick. That's a good thing. You need that. You, you need to be aware of viruses and take out viruses. Now, you know also what happens if you have too many white blood cells. That leads to autoimmune disease. And I would say there's a lot of churches that have autoimmune disease. They are filled with white blood cells and it begins attacking. This is what happens with autoimmune. That, that you don't want to live your life like that. So I'm not inviting you to be like some uh, cynic that can't be edified or encouraged. I'm just inviting you to consider what Jesus says. He says, there's teachers who are producing bad fruit. Take the time to investigate what you're being told. Maybe a couple questions. Is this what the Bible and Christian tradition actually teaches? Like, so you might hear somebody say something you've never heard before in your life. Well, it might be because you just were never exposed to that doctrine before. That's, that's a good thing. But it might be because they're making stuff up. Is this actually what the Bible teaches? And that's first. And then second, Christian tradition does matter. You know, we, the, our doctrine of the Trinity is something that developed over decades and centuries that, that theologians and scholars of the Bible put together pieces of the Bible to figure out how do we put these complicated ideas together in the Trinity. I mean, the Trinity came together as this rich doctrine that helps us understand the incredible nature of God. So every time you talk about the Trinity, you are standing on Christian tradition. You are under, you're standing on how various theologians took the scriptures and pieced them together, put them together and figured out that, whoa, that's what this means. This means that there's one God in three persons, that Jesus is God, that the Father is God, that the Spirit is God. That, that, that's the result of a Christian tradition of theological work. And so we don't want to uh, just ignore that. These are important pieces to figuring out whether or not the food you're being fed is good food. Another question might be is, do they make me want more of them or do they make me want more of Jesus? I think there's a lot of teachers out there that make me addicted to them. I want to hear another one of those stories. Give me another one of those illustrations. Instead of that Christ that you're speaking of is the, is the one that I need. Just, just some thoughts there. I, one last thing before we move on. Um, you know, th there's a, a passage that, that Paul writes to Timothy, and he says that on the in the last day, people are going to gather for themselves teachers that tickle their ears. And, you know, I was uh, a pastor at this church. I'd been here for three years. That maybe I was the one 
who was gathering for myself teachers who tickled my ears. I always thought of it as like, it's those, it's those, uh, you know, those theological liberals out there that are just going to get teachers that tickle their ears. And then one day I realized gathered around me are just people that say what I want them to say. This is, this is Jesus' invitation for us to, to work hard and to be aware, to test the fruit, which takes time. I would say, don't be passive. Like, start to learn some doctrine. It's not that hard, actually. There's a lot of great resources that are available. Uh, it, just, it just takes time. The last metaphor, two houses. So two ways, two trees, and then two, two houses. If the first metaphor of two ways makes a lot of modern people uncomfortable, this last metaphor makes a lot of traditional and religious people uncomfortable. Listen again to verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying that there is going to be a group of people who are shocked on the last day. And it is not who you think. It's the people with the best resumes. They they are going to hold up their resumes and say, "Look look at all this. Look at all we did. And Jesus is going to say, application denied. I, I, I don't know you. D- depart from me. And if you say, whoa, I say, whoa, too. Th- th- those are so heavy, those verses. And I think that that is why Jesus pairs them with verses 24 through 27. In verse 21, he says, not everyone. And then in verse 24, he says, everyone. So listen to verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I want to explore this second part and then we'll come back and see if it informs verses 21 through 23. So if you follow that, that, that uh, sequence, Jesus says when all the storms came, all these storms blow in, the wise man's house survived them all. Pretty incredible. But why? Why did the wise man's house stand? Jesus says crystal clear in verse 25 that the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. He says in the other verses, verses 26 and 27, the fool's house does fall. But why does the fool's house fall? Because the fool, their foundation was the sand. They built their house on the wrong thing. Do do, do you notice that Jesus does not criticize the contractor? He does not criticize the building materials. In other words, he he doesn't critique the house itself. It's like, it's almost like Jesus has this this vision in mind of two identical houses. And he's saying, see, these houses look the same, don't they? Look at at these houses. Look Look at the houses that they've built. 
One survived the storm. The other did not survive the storm. What happened? It's like Jesus saying, is saying, in the end, it's all about the foundation. It is not lost. He is looking at his followers and saying, you're not going deep enough. If what you're trying to show me is the house that you've built, you are not going deep enough. All of this stuff that you've done, okay, fine. Some of it might have been really, really good. But what really matters, what ultimately matters is where did you build this house? What did you build this house on? You've got to go deeper. Both of these builders are making all of their moral efforts, all of their religious activity. That's what these houses represent. But the difference between the two is that one of them bases their whole house on the rock of Jesus Christ. The other house is based on the sand, which means that the house is its own foundation. That's what that illustration means. It doesn't mean that the sand is its foundation. It means the house is its own foundation. It's just sitting there. That's the only foundation the house has, is the house itself. What are you building your life on? If you hop back to verse 13, in verse 13, we see the, 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 the two paths, the two ways. We see that the people was easy on what was safe, on what was known. But as good as that may feel, it leads to destruction. Jump to verse 21. The people in verse 21, we find out that they have built their life on their achievements, their good deeds. But as good as those deeds might be, they're on the wrong foundation. That's building your life on you. Do you notice that that's what's happening in verses 21 through 23? That when Jesus says on this last day, there's going to be people that show up on judgment day and they're going to say, here's my evidence, baby. Check out this resume. And it is stacked. It is stacked with all kinds of good deeds and ministry and efforts. And it says, didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we give all this money in your name? Didn't we pray in your name? Didn't we fast in your name? Didn't we go to church in your name? Didn't we do all these good deeds in your name? And Jesus says, that, that's, that's you doing that. that. That's you building your resume. That's you trying to save you. Jesus in verse 21 says that the one who does the will of my father is the one who enters the kingdom. Do you know what the most fundamental aspect of doing the father's will is? It's building your life on the rock of Jesus. The, the, the gospel does not destroy effort. It destroys earning. That all of these things that Jesus invites us to do, to give and to serve the poor and to pray and to fast and to attend church and to be involved in other people's lives and to live in community, all of these things are such good things. And the gospel invites us to pursue those, to give our whole selves effort, yes. But if you think that those things are earning, if you think that that's why you should be let into the kingdom, it's not going to work out. And Jesus, in his kindness, is trying to tell us that right now. We have a problem in our modern context. The idea of faith or, or belief, it has been contaminated. M modern faith often thinks of uh, my, my faith in Jesus or my belief in Jesus as, as maybe you've heard this illustration before, but if we had a chair sitting here, 
Uh, modern faith says, I see that chair. It looks like those legs are pretty sturdy. I believe that that chair would hold me. And it stays right there. Intellectual ascent, theory, an idea in your head. Biblical faith says, I look at that chair. Those legs look like they'd hold me. And then I actually sit in the chair. I actually sit in the chair and trust that chair to hold me. See, that is not salvation by works. That's salvation by surrender. That's giving up. That's waving the white flag and realizing I can't save me. All of my good deeds, all of my efforts, all of this stuff that is good and right for me to do can't ever earn me the spot in the kingdom. It's not how it works. That's why verses 24 and 25 are so powerful. Have you noticed that a lot of us want to engage Jesus? I mean, you are here on a Sunday morning. We, we, we like a lot of things that he says, that he offers, but we also don't want to give up control of our life. Man, there's a lot of things about what Jesus says. We're a fan of that, but we don't want to give up control. We, we might look at Jesus and say, man, he offers real happiness. I think he really does. I'm looking around and our culture's falling apart and it's not working out there. There's got to be a better way. I, I think Jesus might offer real happiness. But we're actually asking, how can I be happy and still keep control of my own life? The Bible's answer to that is, that's impossible. That's actually impossible. You have to abandon your self-will or abandon the hope of Jesus. You cannot hold on to both of those at the same time. That's not an option on the table. Jesus says, narrow is the way, hard is the path. You've got to lose your life to gain your life. It's going to cost you everything, but it's the way to life. You can't hold both at once. That's the message of the gospel. Have you given up the architectural plans of your life? Have you given up your agenda? Have you given up your self-salvation projects? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Verses 21 through 23 tell us of a group of people that think they're doing all of these things and they think that that is what gives them standing with God. And on the last day, Jesus says, oh, no, 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 that's not it. Now a question, what do you think those people's response was to Jesus when he said that's not right? I actually think Jesus tells us. Verse 22 is written as a rebuttal. I think Jesus says, I don't know you. And they're like, whoa, 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 buddy. Hold up. Did we not check the receipts? There's a doubling down. There's a sense in which it's like, no, no, I did do this. I do deserve this. I did earn this. You see, there's a, 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 a boldness to their positioning. What do you want? Like, what, what, what do you want in your life? This is actually inviting you to surrender your life to Jesus. And I think a legitimate question is to say, what do you really want? Now, that, that's a hard question, isn't it? What do you really want? What do you really love? What do you really desire? How do you know what you really want? Well, I think the Bible would actually say... Look at what you do, and that's going to tell you something. But don't stop there. Ask yourself, why do you do it? Why do you do what you do? Why are you here today? Why, why, why do you give money 
to, to the, the work of God in the world? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you try to share the gospel with your neighbor? Why, why, why do you do these good deeds? Why are you volunteering at, the, at Safe Harbor or any, any of the good ministries in our community? Why, why are you doing these things? J Jesus wants to get down to that level with you. And he wants to invite you into a recognition that there is a, a better way than trying to appease God, trying to somehow earn God's favor. Love, we are working from love. All the things that I just said are good things to do, but they don't ever earn you the love of God. It can't be earned. It has to be given. We work from being loved. We recognize what Jesus has done on our behalf, and then we respond. God's laws and God's ways, they're not an arbitrary hoop to jump through. It's an invitation to the good life. Jesus loves us just because he loves us. Now, let me close by offering another way to see this, these words of Jesus that make the same point, just, just from a different angle, and we'll go to the table with this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, then there's no kingdom for you. He says, wholeness, righteousness all the way down. Then a few verses later, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Whew. So first, it's like your righteousness needs to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. And maybe if you were really arrogant, you'd be like, I can beat those guys. By verse 48, he says, you have to be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And then you get down here to, to chapter 7, and we just read it in verse 21. He says, the one who does the will of the Father is the one who gets into the kingdom. Anybody here ready to raise their hand and say, that's me? I do the will of the Father every day, every minute? No way. Who, who is the only one who truly has righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees? Who, who is the one who is truly perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect? Who is the one who truly does the will of the Father day in and day out, every minute of every day? The, the, the answer is, is, is that it is Jesus Christ. Don't you see that Jesus is saying the only way to life is with me? It's the only way in. He'll take all of your failures. He'll take all of your sins and he will give you all of his success and all of his righteousness. He will swap resumes with you. You want the kingdom of heaven? You want life eternal? You want life abundant? Jesus says, come to me. You, you got to come over here. No one is getting into the kingdom unless they're with Jesus. Have you ever been to a party like that where you need to know somebody to get in? That's this party. And he's saying, if you go there and show up and say, it's me, it, the answer is going to be like, I don't know who you are. But if you show up and say, Jesus said I could come, I'm with him. That's the way in. That's the way in. And it's good news. Whoever did that is right on. <clears throat> the invitation is so wide open. But please do not miss this. The, the way is narrow. The way is hard. It's only Jesus. All of that is true. And at the same time, it is wide open to anyone who will come. That door is not closed to anybody. Is all you have to do is come. Are you willing to admit that you can't save yourself? All you have to do is ask him. It sounds too good to be true, but it is. Every time we come to this table, every time you're invited here, we face a crossroad. 
We face a crossroad. And, and, I, and some weeks we don't do a good job, I don't think, of actually helping you process the nature of this crossroad. This table is actually us saying we need him. If he did not break his body and spill his blood, if he did not go to the cross and do for us what we could never do for ourselves, if that didn't happen, then there is no hope for us. And so we end our services by coming and taking and being nourished again, this recognition that Jesus did for us what we so desperately needed him to do. If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not sure, we invite you instead of coming to get these elements to stay in your seat and and receive Christ. There'll be some prayers on the screen. And if you're thinking, man, all these people beside me, listen, we climb over people all the time. It is not a problem. Or you can get up and go out to the bathroom or you can come up and just not take the elements. Uh, Don't let that be awkward. The the more awkward part is your crossroad with Jesus. Where, Where do you stand with this Jesus who says, come to me and I'll give you life. This is the only way, but it's wide open to you. If you're willing to give up the agenda. If you're willing to give up your self-salvation projects, Jesus will do it for you. If our servers will please come, let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, Sermon on the Mount. God, I get excited about talking about these things, but I'm also intimidated. I also feel it uh, in my own heart, uh, a recognition of my own stubbornness and my own desire to achieve and to perform and to, to do good deeds and, and to sometimes be doing those good deeds to try to, to try to get your approval, to try to earn something with you. God, would you help me to, believe, to see that the scandal's crazier than that? That you'd love me just because you do? You offer that love to every person just because you do? God, our stubbornness, our bullheadedness, our unwillingness to actually recognize that all of our efforts are not enough. God, that stands in the way of so many would you break our hearts this morning? Would you help us to see you? Would you help us to realize that it, it, it seems too good to be true, but it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.